0: in that they are narrative. And so we'll go pretty quickly through them, and then we get to the real sweet spot of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 to 66. (laughs) So uh, that'll be a a neat uh, step in our study. Today, though, we're following what we've done in the interim of talking about the attributes of God, and I want to talk with us about the wisdom of God. We're pursuing this... Description of God that's been called the finest description of God ever penned by man. Um, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Um, so we've we've looked at spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, uh, and being. And then we turn to, now to wisdom. I want once again to look at this. Oh, fish feathers. There. Uh, fish feathers is a wonderful swear word because we're not supposed to swear by anything in the heavens above, the earth beneath, or the waters under the earth. And if there are no, since there are no fish feathers, then. You know, so, yeah. So, chicken lips. Yes. So. My mother says good honk. Good uh, honk. Or teacher's heart. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but the, the goal of this diagram is to point out, notice the line that comes out from under spirit. <laughs> uh, um, the, uh, the three categories, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, define spirit. Are you with me so far? Uh, so they're modifying elements. They define what we mean by spirit. But there is a line that comes out from the line that leads to infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. That tells us that those three also are, uh, are used to modify, that is to describe or define uh, being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So, as we have said, he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. But he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom and in his power. Are are you with me here? So, whatever we say subsequent to the first step there, uh, uh, spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, those things define each of the categories that we talk about in the lower part of the diagram. When we... <laughs> I thought I had this all arranged properly. Uh, when we look at wisdom, there are two subcategories, and we have said that when the folks who wrote the... This is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. <laughs> the larger catechism is too long. I, <laughs> But... <laughs> But in the shorter catechism, the folks that wrote it also wrote a commentary on it, and they will define various elements that belong with this uh, each of the categories. So uh, we had the question a few weeks ago, well, where is grace in all of this? And it's under goodness, okay? Um, So it would be a subcategory of goodness, and, and when we talk about good, by the way, good is one of those flexible words that you use in all kinds of ways such that it's almost impossible to define so he is a, she is a, a, a good cook he is a good thief are, are you with me? Uh, so we have to define what goodness means for most of us good means it's something that's pleasing to me yes, but not all that's good is pleasing to me are you with me here? So we have to define all these things. And when we talk about the wisdom of God, there are two categories that belong under it. One is, is knowledge. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his knowledge. And I used the word prudence. Um, prudence is a word that we don't use a lot now. Um, but if you think back, those of you who are, are, have some history behind you, uh, going back into the even into the '80s, um, there was a an insurance company that was advertised all over, and, and it was Prudential. What what would Prudential have to do with insurance? Nothing. Yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Linda says nothing. <laughs> What does the word prudential have to do with life insurance? A yeah, good judgment about the future. You know trouble's coming ahead, and so you prepare for it. So prudence is using resources in a way that is, we, we can add the word wise here, but we need, to, we need to even qualify that. So what do we mean by wisdom? Um... um let me move first through knowledge. The omniscience of God. What do we mean by omniscience? Is that perfection of God by which he knows himself and all things, both actual and possible, in one eternal and most simple act. Just, just a, a few comments on this. God knows himself in that he is infinitely beyond us because we don't even know ourselves. Yes? You've had enough experience of life to know that at some point you you come to be conscious of what you're doing and you think, I I don't even know myself in this event. Yes? Well, God not only knows us, but more importantly, he knows himself. Yes? Yes? And not only do I not know myself, I don't know him, except as he reveals himself to me. And as he does, I I don't know him exhaustively, I just know him, yes? My favorite professor said about his wife, he was younger than I when he said this, I know my wife, I know I know my wife. I know, I know, I know her. But sometimes I don't know her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I never can penetrate into another person in such a way that I can say I know that person exhaustively. I always remain outside that other person. I am outside myself. I don't know myself. I don't know you. And I know even less about God. But God knows himself. Then also, he knows all things, both actual and possible. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, He knows, brothers and sisters, what will come to pass. But he also knows what could come to pass if things were different. And we'll see evidence of that in scripture a little bit later. This may run us over into (laughs) another session, but... That's okay. Um, God knows himself and all things, both actual and possible, in one uh, eternal act. He doesn't reason from A to B to C. He simply knows. Uh, You have a a small experience of this, every one of you. Um, At some moment, you will think of something you need to say to somebody you're with. And you haven't worked your way through the sentence. You just know what you need to say. And the sentence comes out in a linear fashion. Yes? But the idea is resident as a simple reality in your mind when you conceive of it. Does this make sense? That's a very small notion of what God's knowledge is. He knows all things, both actual and possible, and Himself. In one simple act. And it's eternal. He always has known. Always will know. Yes. Uh, He doesn't engage in discourse. He engages in discourse with us. He knows how we think. So he can say if this then that. Yes. Yes or no. But he doesn't have to do that. This is the, the knowledge of God. And it's essential that we have a sound definition of the knowledge of God before we talk about the wisdom of God because the wisdom is founded, his wisdom is founded on his knowledge. So, uh, Deuteronomy 2.7. <coughs> um, there are a whole batch of verses on this. Deuteronomy 2.7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey th- through this vast desert these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, uh, and you have lacked nothing. I, I'm not sure what that... I think I must have written the reference down wrong. Uh, but 1 Samuel sixteen seven, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on things at all the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. You and I know what he means by heart here, not the, the organ that pumps, pumps blood. We have the sense that the heart is the reality of who we are. So at heart, we say, at heart, it is such and such. Yes? God knows the heart. I don't even know my own heart. I am self-deceived in some ways. Yes? Um, and in other ways, I'm just simply Ignorant. I have no idea what I'm actually like. You have a better idea of what I'm like than I do, in some respects. Are Are you with me here? Um, yeah. Yes. Is, when God says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yeah. Is He not I mean, saying that he, as, a, as as a result mm-hmm. of the fall? Yeah. We can't know it? exactly. We're we are not in a position to actually understand ourselves. And in light of what we said about good a little bit ago. We don't even have enough information, enough insight to know what's good for us. You know that. Yes. First um, Samuel 23.10 uh, David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and to destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah Surrender, surrender me to him. Will Saul come down? As your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will. And God and David asked, Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And he said, They will. And he said, They will. So David and his men about 600 in number, left Keilah and went, move, uh, uh, kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go, go there. So God knew what would happen, yes, if things had been def- different. Well, what does that do to the freedom and free will of man? Nothing. God knows free, free acts. With me here? Part of our problem here is our definition of freedom. We don't have a sound definition of freedom. We think freedom entails unpredictability. But if God knows all things, both actual and possible, then He would know, He knows what things would be like if they were different. Does this make sense to you? And all the paths that would have uh, p- paths of human experience that would have evolved from that. So far, so good. Yeah? Uh, that's enough on omniscience. There, as you see, there are many other references of Scripture that we could go to. Yes, sir? I was thinking, and it's been a long time since I've played chess, but it's kind of like a chess player that knows technically the best. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And, and knows, often knows, that so, so the, for those of you who couldn't hear, it's like chess player who knows 10 moves ahead what he's going to do, and you might thwart him, but it will be very difficult. The, the other side of this is that a good chess player, if, 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 if it's in a tournament and if it's at a high enough level, The opponent will be a known quantity, too. If I do this, I know that my opponent will do that. So I'm going to do this. Does it make sense to you? The chess masters have studied each other in their games to know what they do. Well, but they studied. God doesn't. God simply knows. Um, Let's move on here. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, then, in his wisdom. So what is wisdom? Um, Wisdom defined, this is from Burkhoff, wisdom defined, that perfection of God whereby he applies his knowledge to the attainment of his ends in a way which glorifies him most. Now that's an important definition. You You need to lay hold of that. God's wisdom aims at his own glorification. That seems problematic to us, if you're real honest. If, if, you, let, if you keep your theology that you only know intellectually out of the picture. Because <laughs> if you haven't bought into who God really is and what really God is really about, you won't be able to understand what's involved here. Uh, I've done this before and I'm sorry to do it again, but if I were to come, wenn ich uh, komme Ihnen und auf Deutsch spreche, then how much good would it do you? Ein bisschen. <laughs> uh, uh, the point is, why would I do that? Why would a teacher come in and say, I'm going to do the whole course in German, in America? I had a prof who said, he said, He was at, um, I can't remember, I think he was at Cambridge, Uh, and he went to a lecture one day, and the uh, lecturer came in, put his books down on the lectern, and he said, is there anyone here today who cannot understand spoken Latin? And my prof and a few others raised their hands, and he said, well, I suppose I shall have to speak in English today. (laughs) Yeah, excuse me for a living. (laughs) What's the point? Well, number one, the prof probably enjoyed speaking Latin. It was part of his background. It was part of the tradition of English-British education. But in part, he was trying to show his erudition. Does this make sense to you? Perhaps he would even written the the lecture in Latin. Who knows? But but, um, the point is... There would be no reason in Dallas, Texas for me to come in and speak in German in class if I could, I couldn't, but if I could. There'd be absolutely no reason except to, be, to show off. So where does God get off with this goal of working things out that was such, such that it will give him the most glory? The answer is, folks, You don't know, and I don't either, how great God really is. The greater the beauty, the worse it is to hide it. The greater the excellence, the worse it is to hide it. The greater the excellence, the more necessary is its revelation. And since God's excellence is eternal and infinite, then to hide it would be the worst of all wickednesses for him to share him folks the difference between our god and the god of islam is that the god of islam lives in no necessary relations at all none so muslims never think in terms of relationship with god that that, that's not an option it's god has no relations Our God has always lived in relationship. He is a self-giving person. It is of the essence of his nature that he give himself. But so perfect is his perfection, so excellent is his nature, that the goal he has is to impart life by sharing himself with his creatures. Does this make sense to you? And he never really has to explain himself because once... uh, I often ask when I get to Genesis 12, how did Abraham know that was God that spoke to him? And well, people come up with all kinds of answers. Look, folks, God's the kind of person that sticks out in a crowd. (laughs) 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 If you ever run into him, you won't know. You won't have to wonder. You won't have to... Who was that? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. so so, so God is a self-validating person. I have, to, I have to show my ID. Yes?. He doesn't have any ID. He doesn't need any ID. Are you with me? So So as a self-giving person, as a person of relationship, the only right thing for him to do is to draw the greatest possible number of other beings into relationship to himself consistent with the rest of his character with all of his character does this make sense to you so in our um, so what he's doing in his wisdom is aiming at the revelation of himself to the widest possible audience so that He may impart to them life. To cut ourselves off from God is to cut ourselves off from life, by definition. Yes, Jesus will say, as the Father has life in himself. So to cut ourselves, to, to, to reject the living God, is to reject life. It cannot be otherwise. So for him to give himself is to give life in all that it essentially and inherently means to have life. Or a different way of saying it, God chooses the best possible goal uh, 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 means to accomplish the best possible goals. What else would wisdom be, <laughs> frankly? Um, if I act wisely... Uh, so most, if you're cultured, you have seen the Indiana Jones movies. Amen. And, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the knight in the cave says, he chose poorly. You chose wisely. Yes? Uh, the point is that wisdom is, is making your choices such that you achieve the best possible ends. Well, God not only knows what appropriate ends are, but what the goodness of them is. (laughs) I don't. Therefore, I can't understand the means that he uses to achieve them. But I have the necessity laid upon me as a creature, always what we said, I think it was last week, we said, never doubt in in the darkness what you learned in the light. When it looks like every th- all of reality is, is unraveling, when it looks like nothing is working right, everything is wrong, remember the wisdom of God. Uh, folks, you have read Revelation, yes? Assuming, as I do, that Revelation is describing the tribulation um, there are, I have still some questions about that, but assuming as I do that Revelation in chapters 6 through 18 or so is describing the tribulation, looks like everything is unraveling. And specifically it's unraveling for people of faith. So that in Revelation, I don't have the verse address in my mind, Uh, The only time in the Bible this phrase is used, um, blessed are they who die in the Lord from now on. Okay. Always before, death is something to be avoided at all costs. But in that period, so bad are things. Everything is falling apart. Uh, he will say in revelation and it 's fascinating. Just read this in Jeremiah, Jeremiah has this uh, he who is for the sword is destined for the sword he is who is for captivity is destined for captivity, but in jeremiah it's a judgment on sinners in revelation it's the destiny of the of the saints, and it is in that context. That the author that the author of Revelation is Jesus. who Jesus. Jesus. Thank you. I was afraid somebody would say John, but oh. <laughs> oh. Jesus. Uh, this is the the revelation that that God gave to to Jesus to give to His servants. He says in chapter one. So the point is. Um. Uh, he who is for the sword is destined for the sword. He is who is for prison is destined for prison. Blessed are they who die in the Lord from now on. With regard to wisdom, uh, you said God is in relationship. He's always been in relationship. Okay? What is wisdom defined in that context? This way. Still this way. Uh, in, in, within, the, in, uh, within the Trinity creation is a wise act so he possibly give he gives and he can withhold he, well he, he can take away to accomplish a great end namely his uh, his greatest glory the greatest revelation of his character so is he is he to accomplish his ends is that the same as that he want an end for us yes but that's accomplishing this great goal of glorifying Himself most. I've said I've said to you recently. Um, I've, I think I know a little bit more about the the meaning of the statement in Romans chapter eight. I Haven't been in Romans in a while. I thought I'd mention that. But in Romans, Chuck will take care of that. that <laughs> is he starting on Romans? Oh, glory. All right. Oh, six, seven, and eight. Okay, Romans uh, chapter eight. Uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Yes, we know that verse, and we we use it. We haven't stopped to think about it. All things work together for good. <clears throat> what is the good? Does it mean something that will make me happy? Yes eternally, but temporally it may make you very, very, very sorrowful, because the night the Lord's Supper was instituted, Jesus was not exceedingly happy, but it was part of the wise plan of God that will give God most glory. Making sense here? So a lot of the things, so Romans eight twenty-eight is followed by verses twenty-nine and thirty. Amen. Amen. Woof. Yes. <laughs> um for whom he did he also did. To, to, be, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Well, what are the what are the all things that work together for good to conform us to the image of his son verse eight verse twenty eight exists within a passage it's not a it's not a verse that's just kind of hanging out there in the air on on Facebook it's in a passage it begins in verse eighteen it's introduced in verse seventeen of chapter eight if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ now stop, here. joint heir means you inherit the whole estate along with Jesus you don't, you don't inherit a per- percentage of the estate you inherit, you can't, in the first place you can't inherit a percentage of infinity there is no such it's, it's a meaningless statement to talk about a percentage of infinity okay. so, so it's not a matter as a joint heir, it's a Roman legal term That means you inherit the whole estate along with all the other heirs. Okay? But verse 17 doesn't end there. I wish it did. Uh, In some senses. In other senses, I'm glad it didn't because it helps me deal with a lot of things I've been through in the past and probably I'm going to go through in the future. If we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him. For we we know that all... I'm sorry... Uh, for the the sufferings of this present time verse 18 says for the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be rev- uh, to be compared with the glory that shall be reve- glory that shall be revealed in us do you realize that your future is so great you can't even value it right now paul says in 1 corinthians i has not seen ear is not heard Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. We, we simply are not able to appreciate what the glory that awaits us is. Yet we will share in His glory. We will be glorified with Jesus. <laughs> and the wisdom of God is working that out through Romans 8:18 8, uh, to 32, 39. 32 is 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 dealing with the role of suffering in the Christian life. It's introduced back in chapter five of Romans. Um, therefore having been justified by with uh, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now if we have peace with God, surely God will treat us in peace. Let me let me go to the end of this. If I don't get back to you, wag your f- flag again. Um, um, uh, <laughs> I heard thy verse, voice, Lord. <laughs> uh, 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 Romans five one. Um, we have peace with God. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. Well, what what do people, what is the life of people who are at peace with God like? Verse 3. Not only so, but we boast in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces patience, endurance. Endurance produces approved character. And approved character produces hope. And hope does not make shame because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Are, are you with me here? So all the way back in chapter 5, he's introduced this notion that the way we are going to get to glory is through suffering. This is the wisdom of God. Are you with me here? So yeah, he takes away things too. I'm Linda. What I, you just said what I was saying. Okay. God will do whatever it takes to get us there. That's right. Uh, Another way of talking about it, wisdom includes knowledge and implies the perfectly right use of unlimited knowledge. Uh, The hard thing for us is to embrace the notion that God really always does know what's best. And sometimes what's best is deep sorrow and lasting pain. I know. I feel that too. Thank you for that deep sigh. But this is the wisdom of God. See, do you see that our definitions of good are really skewed? All right. um, God's wisdom is absolutely perfect because his knowledge is infinite. Wisdom includes knowledge and implies the perfectly right use of unlimited knowledge. He himself i uh, rather, he knows himself and all things outside of himself by one e- uh, eternal, absolutely perfect act of intuition. He does not reason from the known to the unknown, but he beholds um, all, I can't see it, he beholds all existence, past, present, future, by one act as a whole. He knows all things and their essences as they really are, not merely as they appear. And he knows them in all their properties and relations and with infallible accuracy. So God in wisdom can make a plan that includes things that puzzle us, confuse us. In that light, I want to turn to wisdom implies a plan, but might not a plan fail, and there are several uh, ways that one plan might fail. Um, one can, a, a plan can fail for lack of knowledge. Is that going to be... I don't know enough to make a plan to accomplish the goal I'm trying to reach. Is that ever going to be a problem for God? A plan might fail for lack of skill. Is that ever going to be a problem for God? By the way, skill is um, at the heart of the definition of the Hebrew word for wisdom when god gave um, when god was uh gave instructions for building the tabernacle he designated two men uh, if you if you have any children in the in the in the birthing you might want to Propose a couple of names for them to your children. <laughs> Bezalel and Aholiab. <laughs> Just think about it. So, but uh, he gave Chochma, Hebrew word chokmah, we translate wisdom, but also skill, in every craft to Bezalel and Aholiab. Oh. But he's also sovereign and so that's a different study if i may put that off till some other oh yes there's clearly a relationship yeah 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 his sovereignty and his wisdom work together so his sovereignty is wise um, a plan can fail for lack of resources is god ever going to run out of resources <laughs> just whip up a new badge (laughs) 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 Uh, a a plan can fail for lack of goodness in the planner I may make a good plan but I may not be faithful I may not be loyal I may not be moral I may tell you this plan in order to hoodwink you a plan that I could carry out but to hoodwink you and to abuse you so as. God's plan going to fail for lack of goodness in his own character? No. A plan can fail for lack of authority. I may have a great plan but I don't have the authority to implement it. Is that ever going to be a problem for God? There is no will above him to which he must submit. And there is no will below him to which he must submit. A a, Plan may fail for lack of sovereignty, and that's what I was just talking about. No will above, no will, no will below. Sovereignty is defined as the absolute right to act within within a certain realm. God has sovereignty. Ephesians one eleven will say, "He works all things according to the, the counsel of His own will." Is he ever going to fail for lack of sovereignty? And a plan may fail for lack of ability. So God's plans can't fail. They're not subject to failure. Are you with me? By the way, therefore, the greatest goal of prayer... And the greatest goal of our lives must come to know must be to come to know the plan of God, not for me, but the plan of God and to get involved in it. Um, Now, scripture teaching on wisdom. Romans eleven thirty-three. Oh, the depth of the wi- of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Or um, Ephesians 1, 11, and 12, which I just cited, in him we are all, and then chosen, mm-hmm, uh, having been having been oh, there it is again predestined, <laughs> according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who and by the way notice that in order that in verse twelve in order that, what does that mean uh, not for the purpose it's the result yeah in order in order that Um, in in standard written English, means result. So the result of this is that uh, 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 we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Uh, And then we have Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Again, Luke eleven forty nine. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom, here Richard, this is for you, <laughs> some of whom... They will kill, and others, they will persecute. The wisdom of God? <clears throat> we may have to ask, before this is done, well, what is God's wise plan? What is he doing? Well, we've already said it to some degree. He's, his wise plan is to glorify himself most. But there are some more particular things that we may need to say before we're done. 1 Corinthians two seven. Um, no, we speak God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before, the, before time began. It's a wisdom, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look at a passage before we're done with wisdom, um, in which if the, if the rulers of this world had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Ephesians 3:10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold what does manifold wisdom mean? Yeah, or Multifaceted. multifaceted. Um, sometimes the word is used for for various for varied colors, all the different colors. Um, his intent was that now, through the church. The manifold wisdom should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You remember Job 1 and 2. Yes? Why did God do what he did to Job? To manifest his glory in the heavenly realms. He knew the challenges, he knew the slander that was in Satan's mind. And he would not allow it to remain I, uh, hidden. He would drive it into the open to demonstrate that it's false. What is the slander that's in Satan's mind? Nobody would worship you if you didn't pay him. You buy all the devotion of humanity. And Job is the only man in his generation who is qualified to prove that false. So, uh, Ephesians 3:10, plug that into Job one and two. Have you considered my servant Job? Uh, Colossians 3 two or two three rather, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge job 38 37 who has the wisdom to count the clouds? <laughs> Have you ever tried to count clouds? Where does one cloud end and the other one begin? When they're patchy, when when you have that um, cotton candy sky, right, with lots of puffy clouds in there, you, you, you can count them. But who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heaven? Proverbs 319. By wisdom the Lord laid, laid the, the earth's foundations, and by understanding he set the heavens in place. Or Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12. But God made the earth by his power, he founded the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When um, oh, what are some of those fellows, Hitchens and others, when they say the, the world, the cosmos, is such a mess, it cannot possibly be created by God. They imply that they actually know what they're talking about. And that's proven false every, every time there's a new, de- new development in scientific knowledge. Well, that just threw out all of that system of thought. We've got to start all over again. Yes? Is this right? Some of you are scientific scientifically trained. I am too. <laughs> I had twelve <laughs> hours of science in college. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, is that true? That new discoveries throw out all assumptions and we have to start over again. And it, well, yeah. Uh, but against the evidence. How, how, if Hitchens says, I know what the, the, the universe is like. <laughs> come on. Wake up. You don't even know yourself, Hitchens. How can you know the universe? Proverbs 2.6. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Psalm 104 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Now, when the scientist says the world the cosmos is so cosmos, what does what does the word cosmos mean? Hmm? Yeah. Order. Order. When he says the cosmos is completely disordered, <laughs> he's self-contradictory, number one. Number two, when he says the cosmos is completely disordered, he simply acknowledges the fact that he can't see the wisdom of God in it. You can't either. I can't either. I'm still waiting to see the wisdom of God. I'm seeing little bits and pieces of it, okay? Oh, yes. That's why, that's why I say, when they talk about the cosmos, what did Carl Sagan say? <laughs> cosmos is all there is, uh, has been, and ever will be. Yes? So it's, it's the whole shoot and match. <laughs> all right. So cosmos. But, but one, of the Hebrew, one of the meanings of the Greek word for, for uh, cosmos is simply order, arrangement, adornment. And then finally, Psalm 33.10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm for forever. And the purposes of his heart through all generations. What does that mean for you and me? Um, well, it means we can trust the Lord's plan Especially when we can't see it, it oh <laughs> like like a parent laughs in joy at the childishness of a little one, um, so so what, for all this? what difference does it make that God is wise? <laughs> well. First Corinthians one eight to twenty-five. Would you turn there, First Corinthians one? And I have eight minutes to do this. I still have two other passages I want to deal with. So we'll we'll finish this when we're together again. First Corinthians one eight to twenty-five. We're talking here about the wisdom of God, and this is a crucial concept for the Corinthians because they thought they were so wise. Um, Look at chapter 4 at some point on this. But in 1 Corinthians one eight, He will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this he says to the Corinthians. (laughs) Did you want 8 or 18? 8. Well, it should be. Well... Yeah, it should be 18. But 8's a good verse. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering why on the, on the screen I had verse 18. Right, so let's go to verse 18. <laughs> but, but notice that in verse 8, the plan for the Corinthians is to be blameless at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Corinthians. That's the plan. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The wisdom of God is foolishness on this earth. That's why it's so hard for us to embrace it. The the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. If the if we live long enough we're I think I used to say I, I, I think it's coming I think it's becoming much more certain now persecutions coming and if you and I live long enough we're going to face it and they're going to seem very very wise very very clever they're going to be they're going to be able to run circles around you and me in, in their thinking because we're in the world's system right now people who persecute us but we will have to hold on to a wisdom that seems to be folly verse 20 where is the wise man where is the scribe where's the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world if you have bought into that's terrible language for this what i'm about to say If you have embraced the Lord Jesus and the word of God, you have embraced a wisdom that says all of the wisdom of the world is folly. And that sets you at odds with all of the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a glorious statement to us. In Corinth of the first century, it was horrid. It was inconceivable to talk in those terms. Um, we have a a cross, it's a crucifix that was given to my stepfather by his um, college roommate when he was in his doctoral studies. The fellow's from India, and he wanted to give him some nice gift. This beautiful gift. I think it's. I think the. Jesus is actually an ivory. I'm I'm not confident of that, but I think it is. It was long enough ago that the export of ivory was not illegal. So it probably is ivory. And it's a very nice um, wood. Um, And it is just frankly beautiful, but Ash Nain was his friend's name. uh, Wanted to do something that reflected Otis's Christian commitments and that was the best he could do. He didn't know what else to do, you know So that's a treasure for us because it, was, it belonged to my stepfather, and it came from somebody who loved him. Does that make sense to you? Uh, but, no, it doesn't represent the whole story, but in Corinth in the first century, Corinth is a Roman um, colony, and the citizens of Corinth were Roman citizens. They were direct Roman citizens. They paid no taxes. OK? They were very they were descendants of the uh, uh, the legionaries from Julius Caesar's legions when he conquered uh, Pompey in Greece. He settled his his um, uh his veterans there and and refounded the city of uh Corinth because it had been destroyed a hundred years earlier. They were very proud of their Roman heritage all of the all of the public buildings and all of the public inscriptions in Corinth are, uh, from that period are in latin not in greek it is not a greek city it's a roman city are you with me here the point i'm making is folks for romans the cross was the most shameful thing you could ever think of we say Sinful people glory in their shame, and the scripture says that. Yes? Yes? But all Christians glory in what would be shame in the first century. And for Paul to say what he just said, we preach Christ crucified, is the most shocking statement he can make in Corinth. It would be abominable. To anybody walking down the street, if Paul was there preaching in the Agora, and he preached, we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are, at, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now What this means, folks, is for us by way of application as we close this morning. What this means is the wisdom of God is not going to look like wisdom when you first encounter it. It's going to look like God has given up. He's not controlling anything anymore. No, that's the hand of God. Um, When things get absolutely impossible, start getting excited. Things get impossible for us a long time before they get absolutely impossible. But when things are absolutely impossible, we have a member of our family for which I cannot see any way through this situation that she's in. God, what are you doing? But since I'm at ease and she's not, I can trust the wisdom of God. But in the middle of it, how do you? because it's the only thing that will hold you secure it will hold you stable it looks like folly but it looks like folly because my mind is not thoroughly renewed it looks like folly because I don't understand the purposes of God or his methods it looks like folly because I have the goals I think I must achieve God has other goals which take us way beyond next week or next month or next year or next decade. He has goals that take us beyond resurrection and the destruction of this earth and the new creation. So most of us will remember the words of Jim Elliot, and I'm not sure I can quote them exactly, so for, please forgive me. He is no fool who gives what he cannot k- keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's close with prayer. Father, to embrace your wisdom is a little bit frightening. Uh, We have much in us that holds to our own folly instead of to your wisdom. You know that better than I do, better than any one of us knows. But since that's the case, Father... Teach us to hold fast to what we've learned in the light. Even in the darkness when we can't see why it's still true. And cause us to remember the times in the past when we thought you had lost control. And then we saw your hand. Saw what you did. And know that you haven't stopped being the God who was our father then. You are still that same God with the same fatherly love. And delight in your children. I can't understand why you would delight in us. But Jesus says you you love us just as you love him. So remind us of that. Keep us holding fast to to your wisdom. There's still many problems we have to deal with. But Father, this will be enough. If we can just hold fast to you. Now to him who is all wise, is omniscient, is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We render all glory for for now and forever. Amen.